You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Fox Hills Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Veronica will introduce our guest in a moment, and I can tell you that you want to listen on to find out what he has learned from interviewing hundreds of property professionals. He's a very successful property podcaster, and he even reveals there's lots of people he won't even have on. And that gets back to one of those points I made earlier about one of the things that really annoys me is that there is no one size fits all. So anyone who comes to you and says, this is what you should do, you follow my rules and and you'll make yourself a fortune, antenna should go up immediately. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking Dumbo of the Week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. In this episode, we pick the brains of Kevin Turner, a leading independent property market commentator, that's mouthful, and host of the very popular podcast for consumers called Real Estate Talk and another for agents called Real Estate Uncut. But he's more than just a star podcaster. Kevin has been able to combine his extensive radio and real estate careers, which both date back to the 1980s, right? Yeah, pretty old. To create an interesting and informative real estate program on commercial radio. He's got a two-hour real estate talk show which airs on Saturdays from noon and has been running on Brisbane Talk Station 4BC for many years. How many years now? Uh, close to 14. Wow, way to go. Oh, last I mean, man standing. One of your bios says seven years, so you need to update that. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin's real estate career spanned both Queensland and New Zealand and through his media career he's had access to some of the biggest names in Australian property market. So we're keen to gain insights into who he thinks are the most impressive, if you'll tell us. (laughs) Now, while we're at it, we'd also like to talk about how the media influences the property market. And thank you so much for joining us, Kevin. It's a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. You're probably a bit more uh, versed in front of the microphone than I am, so I appreciate you uh, giving us your time. No no worries. Um, I have listened to quite a lot of your stuff in the past and, you know, et cetera, and um, love it. And you know what I do like about it is you, you know, you're quite broad and you've got lots of different people who, you know, that's what's a good thing, exciting about the property market. There's all these great ideas and different experts. I mean, I guess it, with me, I must, I'd find it quite hard not to argue with some of these people, but um, do, you, do you find it quite hard not to, you know, to stay quite diplomatic and, and not, you know, get your personal opinion involved? What a great question. I, I, I can answer that by saying uh, I used to. Um, but then I realised how little I knew. Uh, and it, it, the podcast is not about me. It's all about the people I, I get on as guests, and mm. that's why I'm really interested to hear their take on things. And mm. I think we've got to understand that no one really knows everything uh, and everyone has an opinion and they have a right to their opinion. Uh, I did an interview just the other day and, and it, it went against my grain because it was one of those interviews where they were predicting the market was going to fall by 40%. You'd probably know what I'm talking about yes. and how, um, you know, in three years' time properties are going to crash in price. And I thought, well, okay, they've got a right to their view, so let's try and find out 
what's behind it, what the thinking is. And I see my role as really just asking the questions, not giving my opinion, because I, uh, I think as a, I don't think I'm a commentator. I'm more a facilitator of conversation. Mm-hmm. So I'd much rather ask some questions and. I ve- that's why I very rarely do podcasts because mm. it's not about me. It's not about my opinion, even though I have one. I don't always like to express it. Mm. You know, I'd much rather have other people on as interesting, interesting guests. And I, I think that's one of the things that stood out for our podcast over the years. Uh, when I first started doing it, it was just really what I was using on 4BC uh, and then trying to repackage that. And that d- simply didn't work because it was a totally different audience. It was a talk audience and it was designed for that. Whereas uh, what I do now is, you know, individual podcasts and try and keep them the small interviews. I know I'm digressing here uh, and I'm hopefully answering your question. Yeah. But uh, it, it, it's it's not about me. It's just about trying to have an interesting and engaging program that has a broad range of information and thoughts. Yeah, and I mean, I guess a lot of your, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of the way that you, I guess, get an income from this is creating more listeners, I guess, and then you don't have an actual product or something to sell, do you? No, you we know, don't. You, no, we and don't. so, you know, you need to, you know, provide education and, and et cetera, and you're not trying to push people down, I guess, a certain, yeah, yeah. I mean, is that kind of, allows you to be independent? Yeah, it's it's been difficult to be independent, yep. to be honest. Um, you know, many's the time I've thought, It'd be so much easier if I had a product to sell off the back of this. But it's one of the things that we've never really done is tried to sell any of our own product. We just haven't created any. Uh, We've certainly tried to market some on behalf of other people and that's been very successful. And we have actually made some money that way. But Mm. it's like any business, you've got to make money. Otherwise, Mm. you know, it it just doesn't, um, it just doesn't gel. We've started a show called The Downsizers Show. And, uh, you know, in that there's a lot of information for agents about what makes a downsizer, what are they looking Mm. for, you know, what are their buying attitudes, how to communicate with them, how to talk with them. Mm. This is a whole generational thing. And it's not going to stop, right? If we're going to keep on downsizing, it's going to get pretty big. We all got um, go-to people that we trust, like, respect, you know, value their opinion. Um, You probably know every property professional in Australia, well, you know, all the good ones, I imagine. Um, you know, who, who are your go-tos? You know, like I don't want you to pick favourites, but, you know, so who are the people that, you know, if you really want to get a really good understanding of what's happening in, you know, the capital cities and the markets, like who are the people you just think, you know what, I should give them a call. They're going to have a great idea on this. Well, I'm talking to them all the time, yeah. whether we're using them in the show or not, to, so I can get a feel for where the market's going. Uh, I've got to say to you that there are one or two that I won't use yep. because I, I, I tend to think they don't really know what they're talking about. Yep. And there are a couple of others who I believe uh, their egos have just totally taken over. And yep. while they pretend to be giving good advice, it's all about them. Mm. And I think there's, there is a, a real danger in that. I can see it emerging more and more. There are some really wonderful, genuine people who you know will go out of the way to help others. Uh, but there are some who um, who I won't use in the show because over time we've proven that their information is very self-centred. Mm. Uh, they've got um, they've got some skin in the game, so therefore their advice isn't always unbiased. And I can see you nodding. I know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. you probably yeah. even know the people I'm talking about. But Absolutely. I, yeah, you know, we we try not we we don't use them. So you try you not know. to give them airplay. Absolutely, mm. well, I won't give them airplay yeah. because I yeah. I think we've got a responsibility to yeah. you know not not 
not edit what we put out, but um, and I don't. I, I very rarely edit any of my interviews mm. unless someone says something yep. that I don't want to put to air. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, like a swear. Sorry, I will edit this. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I hope you do. There's lots of ums and ahs in what I say. Oh, sorry. They'll stay. <laughs> we keep it real in that regard. No, I get what you're saying. I, I think that's right. You're a representation. You don't want to be a facilitator or a, a link to these people. And then for them to go, oh, actually, because sometimes those things are going to all come crashing down. Yeah. And well, also yeah. you don't want to inadvertently um, endorse them. In, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the point I was yeah. going Reputation. to make is that uh, even though I don't uh, make recommendations, simply being on the show is an endorsement. Mm. You know, it, it, it has a huge audience. You know, we've got, as I said to you, we've got a third of our audience out of America. Mm. Uh, you know, we've got, you know, cl- getting very, very close to about 150,000 subscribers now. God. And it's actually, you know, it's it's not something we take lightly. It's mm. Um, mm. And it's growing at a, at a great rate. But a, a lot of that growth is coming out of um, uh, Canada, USA um, and New Zealand. Mm. So, um, so agents have an appetite to upskill and, and learn. Yeah. And, you, and you said yeah. that when you first started uh you know, you might have been more argy-bargy with some of your guests, but you've realised that, you know, you had a lot, you know, we've always got more to learn. I have to say myself, you know, what we're recording this in October, we've now have been recording now for six months actually. Mm. And when when we started, I thought to myself, well, this would be great. I'll get to hone some of my knowledge and, and, and refine some of it and all the rest of it. But I have to say I've been blown away and energised by how much I've been learning um, mm. by every single guest. So I can, I can only imagine that for you it's on steroids because you've been doing it for so much longer. Yeah, and I do it seven days a week. Mm. You know, I'm literally yeah. in the studio seven days a week and, and I just love it. I get up in the morning and I love what I do. Mm. Mm. Uh, so much so that, you know, I've got no plans to stop. Um, Compound learning, right? You know, if you're always learning, and I think that's what you're yeah, be the best agents are doing is they're, they're constantly yeah. staying ahead of the pack, you know. Right. And I mean, I'm very interested in seeing what they're doing now, the top agents, which, you know, imagine, or oh, I don't know, what are they doing? Yeah. What's some of the best practice in terms of, you know, well, I don't want to use the word influencing strategies. At the end of the day, agents have got to influence buyers in order to get properties sold, especially when the market starts getting pretty tight. But but what we have seen, and, and certainly there's been a real change in the language around uh, how agents are, you know, dealing with buyers, handling buyers, respecting buyers. You know, we're seeing a lot of that. What, what are you seeing? What I'm seeing is there's been a major shift in the last maybe five to seven years yep. where agents have gotten a lot smarter through whether it's their CRM, customer relationship management systems, or not, but they understand now, and, and I guess social media has played a big part in this, but they understand the importance of building relationships and mm. we've moved from being a transactional business to being a relationship business where we used mm. to measure ourselves on transactions. Now it's a measurement on relationships. So how strong are your relationships? And I think the really good agents understand that they're working now to build their business for the next decade. Mm. You know, at last we're starting to see there's no short-term fix. There's no quick buck in this yeah. industry. This is... a this is uh, an industry that's going to be built on, you know, building good, strong relationships and very good business foundations. So th- that's the shift I've seen and that's built around technology. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's built around technology and social media and I think that's really shaped the way mm. we do business. You know, our front window is no longer the office. Yes. Our front window is, the, yeah, is social right. media. 
Yeah, and it's so easy to find it online, right? You type a name oh, in, absolutely. and if it's not um, if it's not representing the best version of you, you're in uh, you're in trouble. One of the things that that um, you know, back to sort of the guests that you have on, and and like you say, you you've made decisions that you're not going to have certain people back on. So how do you and and one of the things that we're constantly exhorting through this podcast is that buyers out there, and particularly first home buyers, are particularly vulnerable to spruikers. And we're going to do a whole episode at some point about the wishful thinking and why people fall for the lines that spruikers give them. But you're a veteran, you know, you've been around for a long time. How do you tell the difference between a spruiker and an expert? If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Well, there you go, it's a litmus uh, test. You know, mm. and I think that's the bottom line for me. Uh, it's like dealing with real estate agents. You know, they're real. They're trained. They're good at selling themselves. So you've got, to, you've got to cut through the bull, you know, you've got to mm. cut through all that stuff and, and try and, you know, I always say to people, and, that, and that's one of the hardest things when you come to sell your property, we'll talk about selling, not buying, mm. we'll talk, it's the hardest thing to, to, to do when you're selling a property is to pick the agent. Yeah. It's not the method of sale, it's not even the price because all that's influenced very heavily by your choice of agent. So how do you choose a good agent? Mm. Well, the best way to choose them is to shop around and ask them a series of questions that that I freely give out and I'm happy to give it to anyone who asks Mm. for it, but it's probably the top 20 questions you should ask an agent, why you should ask them, more importantly, the answers you should expect back. Mm. And they're not mundane questions like why should I appoint you or tell me about your last five sales. These are things that you should be asking agents because you're there to pick a negotiator. So I don't know if I got off track here. No, no, no. I get what you're saying. That's a do you do diligence, which is how you probably fit, you know, a spruker or not. But I do like your point around. We'll get um, back to buyers in a minute. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) this is valid, absolutely valid. Yeah, and I think that your point there just made me reflect on, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Is. Mm. And you know, why if something someone's really selling you something. And they're selling you a dream. They're selling you how great an investment's going to be, the returns, how population growth's coming, and this, and or their step by step way that they made their money and yeah, retired yeah. at twenty seven. That's right, that, and that's <laughs> what really annoys me. Mm. You know, the seven steps to success and the the nine ways to do something. Yeah, you know, like. Really? These are the ones that I was referring to earlier, the Mm. people who – look, there's nothing wrong with formulas as long as you understand that it's not one size fits all. No. Mm. It depends on your age, your risk profile, um, you know, what you want to do with your life and all of this stuff. And that's why I really worry about people who promote follow me and you will be successful. They're they're the ones that I'm most wary about, Mm. to be quite frank. Yeah. Yeah. And they market the way that they market themselves. Unfortunately, is um, you market for mass masses, and so instead of marketing yourself and saying, "Look, I can help people," you know, who are like this and they're at this position, you say, "Look, I can help anyone, and whoever's got whoever wants to buy a property, I can help you." And you know, and the way that we do that, we buy cheap property. And if you've got lots of capacity and lots of income, you should just buy lots more. And so, you know, it's, it's not like, oh, you know, maybe you should buy one really quality one based on your situation. It's like depending on how much money you've got and how much income you've got, that's how many properties you should buy. Well, it comes and back to that quantity versus quality strategy, doesn't it? You know? Yeah, Very and that's so. it. And, yeah. you know, they've just, they're just literally – and the, the hard the problem with these strategies, I believe, and this is a frustration for me, is they're buying stuff that's easy to buy because, A, it's mm. cheap and it's in areas where there's not many other people buying – and so it's very easy to go out and turn over and it's all sold on, 
oh, I bought this property in four days and um, it, it is Below kinda, market value. That's, that's <laughs> what oh, I love. Yeah, don't you love that one? <laughs> really? Yeah. Who said that? Yeah. <laughs> don't well, you realise that what you paid is market he's value? exactly right. Yeah. Hello, you just made market value. Oh, Jesus. Oh. Do, you, do you work with any, uh, you know, do you kind of get involved with anyone in the development space or off the plan or new property at all or is, do they always want to stay away from you? No. Uh, well, they they may do if they listen because we don't advocate that. But mm. I don't, by the same token, rule it out because, you know, I've seen some that have worked extremely well. Uh, it's not something – it's one of, the, one of the, the classic mistakes I made when I first started. I didn't buy anything off the plan but, you know, I'm happy to talk about that because I think it was a great lesson for Carolyn and I at the time. Um, but, but getting back to your, your, your question about off the plan and developers, yeah, we do work with some developers mm-hmm. um, because I think some of them have got a really good understanding about where the market's heading and, and we've learned a lot of that through the downsizing. I mean, that downsizing market is just changing so rapidly. Mm. I don't yeah, think we realise it. Yep. It's shaping how houses are being built because yep. uh, we've got to build them more for people and more and more as we get older, we're going to be encouraged to stay in our own homes. Yep. So therefore our homes are going to have to fit us. Uh, you know, we used to think of retirement villages and how bad they were. But now they're more lifestyle villages and you can stage your, your life through living in one of them. But but developers are very clever. They're, they're understanding where the market's heading. They can see this wave coming through. So that's why I like to talk to yeah. them because they're looking 10, 15, 20 years out. Yeah, it's we, very can true. We, can Simon... we put the word some in front of developers very? Because <laughs> yeah. I don't think they all are. But certainly I think... The obvi- and I'm, I'm heartened to hear you saying that you are talking to some that are doing that because mm. those that are still building for investors, well, they're probably going to go broke at the moment because the investors can't complete on a lot of these um, buildings. But, but you know, there's been a lot of complaints that, that families, for instance, in, and in Sydney and Melbourne in particular, there's a demand and the downsizers, it's very important that you say that because downsizers want big apartments, you know, if they're going to go into an apartment, they want big, right? And so you're talking, you're saying you're talking to some developers who are really starting to plan and and, and develop for these markets. Yep. Whereabouts are they doing it? They're developing specifically for these markets. Yeah. You know, yeah. so therefore they they have put everything into making sure that it's, it's good for them. Mm. Where are they building it? Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, uh, you know, we talked, uh, one of the interviews I did just last week was about tree change and sea change and, and all that's changing, you know. Mm. Um, they're, they're looking for good areas that are well-serviced, um, doesn't necessarily have to be seaside, just affordable uh, and where, you know, where they've got the ability to build with, um, with plenty of land. So mm. it, it is all over the place. I mean, mm. we, there's one um, we featured, um, there's been a number of them in Brisbane. Some of them around Newstead, actually, mm. which is a you know very highly priced suburb. But mm. uh, you know Port Macquarie, places like that. Mm. Very uh, well. There is one in particular in Sydney, right in the heart of Sydney, and I just can't recall what what the name of the development mm. is. But not many in cap cities. You know, mm. some, a lot of the regional areas. Um, yeah, land's a lot more affordable. But by the same token, it's got good um, rail links. Yeah. You know, good. So these people still want to be with their family. They yeah. want to have the family come and visit them. So all those things are pretty important. Mm. Yeah, there's mm. one where a client was, sent me an email on just recently. It was in Hawthorne in Melbourne. And, you know, this is a beautiful development right on, you know, the main strip in Hawthorne and, you know, huge, big three, four bedroom apartments, um, high end spec, you know, 
great park, you know, everything about it was like perfect for, you know, either a couple with two kids or a downsizer. Um, and that stuff just hasn't really been built in the past because mm. developers go, well, I could do that, but I'd actually make more money if I turned it to 12, you know, one bedroom apartments rather than six, you know, four bedroom. And I think they're now having to shift on that and having to look at other options because you can't sell them now. So if I can make a point on that, there's one developer in particular who I've been talking to, and it's interesting because uh, it sort of made me think about what developers are thinking like this. And he was from um, he's from uh, he's from overseas, and he comes from a culture where the family is just so important. And when I interviewed him, we talked about you know why are you doing this, and he said I'm doing this because uh, I understand the importance of keeping families together, building something that's going to house our older generation and make them more comfortable in their mm. retirement. So, it, it, you know, and he's building a lot of stuff in, into the development that is suited purely for, exactly. Multi-generational. Uh, multi-generational. Wow. And I th- well, that's, that's, that's fantastic. I don't yeah. see a lot of that thinking coming out of Australia generally. Well, no, I yeah. guess if you're Italian or Greek or something like that, you know, it, there's, there's – Asian. Pro- well, there, there's probably, yeah, lo- lots that's of right. cultures outside Australia that think that way. Yeah. And I've said this – on the podcast before, my sister lives in Italy, and and you know that the family compound effectively, oh, you know is. where where the parents, her in laws live, and there's the brother and sister in law, and then there's the, the there's six apartments in the building, um, and it's family, and so and that's common over there, and that's an older society. Australia has the oldest civilization on the planet you know, our First Nations, right? But they didn't build anything. And so of the inhabitants since 1788 where we actually built an environment, um, we're a very young country in that regard. We're very young. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you've got, you know, hundreds of years of of construction and and centuries, in fact, in places like Italy, you know, um, you know, you've got families that have held sometimes these properties in, in their families for hundreds of years. Right, you know, right. it's a totally different way of thinking about property. And they but, don't have drivers in the market. They don't have a market in the same way we have it. I did an interview today. This is an aside for you talking about age. And um, did, I don't know if you know, but the, the birthplace of Harry Potter in America, the, the house itself that was featured in all the movies, is currently on the market. Right. And it was 200 years old when yeah. Captain Cook, Discovered Australia. Wow. And wow. it's still there and it's on the market. And, you know, that, that's, that is, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Some What's buildings can. On, uh, a lot of the stuff we've been building, you know, do you reckon that will be there for 200 years? <laughs> yes, exactly. No, I'll tell you why, because I think we're very much into a disposable, mm. era. you know, everything's disposable. Yeah. And I, you know, look at some of the houses that are built and some of the ones that are being torn down now mm. and, and replaced with, um, uh, you Duplexes. know. Um, no, I was thinking more of the houses that are. Uh, I'm just trying. To, I'm struggling for the word. Um, the more modern type houses, yeah, so uh, more contemporary, flimsy. contemporary more homes. <laughs> yeah, is, is what. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're knocking down sort of 1950s double brick, not 50s and 60s double brick yeah. bungalows. And when you consider they're paying a million dollars for these houses, mm. that's yeah. what they're paying for the land. Yeah, yeah. So the, the houses really are disposable. It's the land that has the value, mm. and and we're seeing that more and more. Yeah, I mean that's it's crazy, isn't it? You're knocking out a perfectly good, strong house, and you're building something that's usually cheaper and poorly built. Sometimes, um, 
Yeah, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense at all. Well, it's more expensive to renovate and add to that existing structure than it is to knock it down and build Well, it's it's being built to be disposed. Yeah, which is worry, isn't it? I actually have a philosophical issue with that. We're not really building things uh, that have any heritage value. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole movement, I guess, Long-term, I guess, to more modular homes and things like that. Have you done much around that on your podcast? Or? We've done a little bit around um, granny flats, that type of, you know, that type of construction, but not a lot, to be honest. It's, mm. um, no, we don't. Yeah, I mean, just, I guess, understand, because property is all about people, right? We, it's so important to understand that the human connection and people's families make up and how that will change and shift and demographics. And, you know, if you really want to understand how a property is going to fare long-term, you've got to kind of constantly be thinking, you know, where's the, the shift for population moving? And that's why I think you said about developers with uh, demographics. You know, Simon, who was on one of our other episodes, um, he's a demographer. And, you know, a lot of the, what he does is working with developers, figuring out where are things moving. That's right. Let's build for that, you know, yes, because, right. you know, that's, that's where the, the money will go long term. Mm, it's interesting you talk about people and houses, but real estate is not about Real estate. No, it's not it's about, not about the bricks house. and mortar. It's all about the people. It is. Houses stay the same. People move in and out of them, mm. and that's and that gets back to my very first statement about how real estate has changed, or how agents have changed. They understand they've got to build a relationship with the people. Yeah, finally getting it. <laughs> yeah. So you've been working in property for such a, a long time, uh, and what's made you stay in property so oh, long? I just love it. And, and what, I, I, I love property, and I love media. Mm. To trace my history, it goes right back to when I first, one of my first jobs as a printer by trade, I'm a tradesman as a printer, but um, then I went into radio and I stayed in radio for 20, 30 odd years and did a little Mm. bit of television Uh, and then I got into real estate and after about 12 years of real estate, I realised I was sitting at a conference one day and I thought, all these people are sitting here, they're giving up two days of their time to come and do some training. There's got to be a better way. And at that stage, the internet was just starting. So I thought maybe I can, I was doing the show at OBC at the time, maybe I can just create something from that that these people can listen to it at any time, no matter where they are. That was the, the birth of our first podcast. You're ahead of your time. Well, I was, <laughs> and it was called, it wasn't called Real Estate Talk in those days. It was some other name, I think, Property Something. Anyway. Uh, that's that's how how that started. How did I get onto that topic? I mean, how you, why you love property? Oh yeah, why I love property. So I was able to bring um, the media and property together. Mm. So I'm really interested in real estate. I l- love talking to real estate agents, developers, buyers, and sellers, and helping them. Mm. And that all comes from that experience in real estate. So mm. to bring the two together for me was just magic. That's why I love getting up every day and doing what I do. Match it's made just, in heaven. It's just, it's just I <laughs> I love the media. Mm. The media is a funny one though, right? You know, it's the role of media generally is to sell advertisements, you know, that's how they no, make their money. No, that's no. how they make their money. Yeah. Their role is education and entertainment. But is it really when you look at uh, entertainment? Okay, I'll go with that. So, I mean, you could you, some would be very educational focused and then that's why you read it. But a lot of the media is entertainment. So, and people are going there, which they think they're going to get entertainment education but really they're just getting entertainment well it depends what you're watching it for i mean i i do watch the abc a lot mm. uh, and i find that very balanced mm. uh, i i like it so, some of it i don't sometimes i feel like throwing something yep. when, they're, when they're talking <laughs> 
particularly politics. But um, but I find that really interesting. So if you go to some of the commercial channels where they do have commercials, mm. you've got to expect that that's there for entertainment, mm. and entertainment comes with a bit of hype. So. That's oh, okay. Now all of a sudden we're back talking about 40% market drops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, have you noticed your listeners, your listener numbers, have they fallen off in correlation with, you know, property prices falling and, no. and the talk of it? So no. there's still an enormous appetite and interest. Absolute fascination yeah. with it. As prices fall off, people become more interested. Yeah. <laughs> it's when prices are really going well and things are on the, I don't need this, you know, yeah. I can mm. do this myself. Wow. But now there's a real good understanding that you need to be educated, you know, you need to be listening and yeah. be a sponge. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I do, I must, every single episode, I must mention CoreLogic's Pain and Gain report um, because it's one of the few reports out there that actually does talk about mm. the losses. And right. and so now now it's on, everyone's talking about you can lose money in property. The boom is over, you know, long live the boom. Um, <laughs> um and so, yes, the, the, the reality of that, the fear of that, the spectre of that, the, the actual understanding that I could actually get it wrong suddenly is kicked in. So you're saying that actually increases people's appetite Absolutely. for knowledge. So that's really it interesting. It definitely does. Yeah. And I mean, you can see in the media now, every day you open AFR or Australian or whatever it is, all the media's, you know, picking up on, you know, this downturn, they're reporting on how long it's going to go and how far it's going to fall and what's going to happen to certain suburbs and, you know, settlement risk on off the plan. Like, yeah, it's a risk today, but three years ago they bought it. So, the, mm. you know, if you're really going to educate, you should have been three years ago of this future, what could happen. And, yeah. you know, now they're just reporting on, you know, what's happening today. And that's, that's I guess that's probably my little frustration with media is that, you know, a lot of it is just edu- is, is, is entertainment. But, you know, there it's are good snippets that are actual you know, education. The, the educational pieces, sorry, the entertainment pieces, time, mm. they, they really do date. Mm. I keep, As an example, I can go back 15 years when I started interviewing and there are still some interviews that I could run today that are quite relevant yeah. because they're based on really good theory. They're based on, see, nothing changes. It really doesn't change. Yeah. Oh, which leads into one of my next questions for you, but keep going. I don't want to interrupt. Yeah, but, it, but it, it doesn't change <laughs> yeah. and that's yeah, exactly. why I can go back and, you know, not that I've done it. Occasionally I have, I must admit. If I'm going to be going away mm. on holidays, I'll go back. And I think I may have used one of your interviews recently. Oh, brilliant. You can recently, use mine as um, many as you like, <laughs> as uh, often as you where like. Where I went back and I thought, yeah, well, that's, that's great advice, you know. Mm. It's, yeah. it's not dated. Yep. It works. And the good stuff works. Good advice no matter doesn't what date, the, though, no, does it? doesn't. It does and not. You know, no. like the parents' advice to the kids, the you know, and then the kids to their kids, you know, the same family principles or life principles, you know, or, yeah. you know, and that's, that's whether it's financial advice or whether it's property advice, it doesn't really matter. The good fun, uh, fundamentals, fundamentals stay the same, right? <laughs> you know, the other thing that, that really annoys me is that people will come out and make predictions and say, well, this is going to be a hot spot. Watch for this one next year. And then, and I did this a couple of years ago and I stopped doing it mm. because I was scared because I actually did a show where we looked at what's going to happen this year and then I came back one year later and I said, right, it's time to keep you accountable. Here's what you said then. Do you still agree? <laughs> I couldn't put it to air because wow. it, it was just so wrong. I've started doing some research actually. I'm going back into, you know, the property investment magazines where they're in print these predictions and I haven't, you, you know. You find these if you've got them. Oh, you can find them online. Oh, right. Mm. <laughs> 
And, you know, I've gone back eight years. I haven't found anything older than eight years yet, but, I, but I'm looking at them and, you know, the 12 markets, you know, set to go off or whatever. And, and I have done a very cursory glance over these, these, all these predictions and my initial passover is something like 90%. Not only have they not done anything, but some of them have actually lost. Yeah, but see, this is where I feel sorry for people in the media because that those sort of stories sell. I mean, yeah, they're in correct. the business to make money. But and see, I'm, so, I'm sorry about this, but, you know, if they don't do those sorts of things. But they ask people like me to give them those hot spots, and I always say no. Hmm. So other people aren't being as uh, careful, shall we say, and they're putting – these are actually, um, you know, so that the, the – okay, it sells. Of course it sells, right? But these are going and asking experts for their predictions. So the experts are putting their name to these predictions. And, you know, that's – that. you know, I, I get yeah, that it see, sells. This, this is the point I was get, trying to – was going to mm. make and I sort of got off track and that is that no one holds them accountable. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You know, they're not held accountable and they can come back year after year and make these kind of predictions. What about this turkey who comes over from the States and, and always talks about – Oh, no, Harry Dent. Yeah, and yeah. talks about the market yeah. crash. I've he's got a, next month. Yeah, yeah, well, he's got another book coming out, Sells obviously. more tickets. You know, or he's got <laughs> a going. seminar, he's got something. You're you? going, are you? I've seen you before. He's you're going to be funny. a heckler, like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Waldorf and stand Stigler. up and say, Harry, you're a <laughs> jerk. Don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. hold you accountable, Harry. <laughs> no, I find it quite, quite <laughs> funny. I've done, I mean, I've done an interview with him. Yeah, yeah, there you go. yeah, and it was good fun. It was yeah. really good fun. Did you take him to task? Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I'm not wrong. I'm just not right about the time. And oh, so yeah, you. and if I keep saying it, maybe it'll come true one day. <laughs> yeah, eventually, eventually. Yeah. But you know, I got this thing about hotspots. Um, you know, I've got, you know, I've got a child. She's twelve, right? If she could, she'd probably have a live on a diet of cheesels and snakes. And she would ask me, Mum, this, this is, is what- the woman who was eating pretzels when I first came yeah, in. Yeah, so pretzels, yeah. not cheesels, you know. Cheesels, that's my my lunch today, it's a bit sad, pretzels. But, you know, really, Mum, I just want to eat cheesels and snakes and I, and drink that iced tea laden with sugar. I'd love to have a diet of cheesels and snakes. Now, one day Molly's listen to this, maybe, and she'll say that is not true about me, Mum. But the point being that if you let the readers dictate or the idea of what sells, you know, it's the same as asking your your primary school age kid what they want to eat and just giving it to them. I want to know the best five suburbs to buy in. It's like eating a diet of cheesels and bloody a packet yeah, of snakes. Yeah. Do you know, it's just as bad for you to follow that sort of advice, you know, and really and truly I actually think that the magazines, you know, they should take a little bit of if, if they know people are going to be following the advice, they really need to take a bit of responsibility here. Yeah, but then they can't sell the magazine because, you know, you don't make money on a magazine. You know, you don't make money on the $4. Um, you make money through the media that's advertised within there. And So know, how do buyers make decisions if well, that's they where they're going to get those magazines. Um, and if buyers' agents were sponsoring those magazines and that was full with buyers' agents, then but I don't think buyers' agents Some would of them pay. are. Seriously, yeah. some buyers' agents are in that sort of stuff. Of course they are. Mm. Mm. In fact, a lot of them are because it's like the off-market myth. 
Mm. You know, yes, we buy off-market property. Yes, we get access to off-market property. But, you know, is most of it worth buying? No. Is most of it overpriced? Yes. You know, do I really get access to that much more than the average buyer? Well, mm. a bit, but, you know, do I buy much of it? No. So, yeah, But buyers can do the same thing. They, they can do the same and thing. And I've seen them do it. Yeah. Mm. They go but, door knocking. They w- w- and, and probably, in fairness, they'd probably get a better um, – chance of picking up a bargain than a buyer's they agent They may well have. do, exactly. Yeah. And so for buyer's agents to use that as the big hook really irritates me yeah. because I know that cheesels and snakes for dinner is what a toddler, you know, what a primary school kid wants, yeah. but it's not good for them. It's the same with these buyer, these the potential clients saying, I want you to find me the off-market. I want that to be the value add. It's like actually our value add is extends in vastly other, vastly less sexy ways. <laughs> I'm getting way late here. But back to what you were talking about in terms of what were we talking about? That's all right. We can cut all this. <laughs> well, no, don't cut it. It's real. Keep it, keep it in. Yeah, no, I mean the – I guess the, the – fundamentals are are so true i mean with the property what are some of the fundamentals if you were going to talk about what drives a good property um what are the fundamentals that you really focus on and that you would you know advise your kids on well the first bit of advice i'd give our kids is to get into the market no matter what it takes you Mm -hmm. know you've just got to you've just got to get in there uh there are some there are some mistakes you can make but then you know my idea of a mistake is not necessarily someone else's. So I think the first mistake we ever really made was that we thought we're on holidays from North Queensland. We were down on um, an island just out of Brisbane and we thought, what a wonderful place to live. Wouldn't this be a nice place to live? Let's buy ourselves a block of land mm-hmm. and we'll build our house. So we bought the block of land and we didn't ever build a house on it and it just became, it was not making any money. It was just costing us money. So I tried to sell it along with hundreds of other blocks that were for sale at the same time. And the only way that we could really get rid of it was that we did a, um, a joint venture with a builder. We, we threw mm. the land in, he put the house on, we sold it and got our money back. But, you know, that was a great lesson for me is that, wow. you know, as an ice cream licker, you shouldn't be buying property. Yeah. You know, yes. don't do it when you're on a holiday or don't buy a unit when you because you like going there for holidays. It just doesn't work. It's a really good lesson. You land know, just full stop, right? Just buying land. Unless you're, gonna, unless you're going to turn it over real quick. Yeah, because I can see that. It's so, you know, people get pushed out of housing and they go, oh, you know what, maybe I'll buy a house and knock it down and do a build or maybe I'll buy some land and put something on it. But the risk is if, if that doesn't go ahead, You've just got a piece of land. Oh, yeah, which and, is not earning you any money. Mm, yeah. And if it's in an area where uh, land's in great demand, yep. then that's okay. But in my case, it was where there was hundreds of other blocks and they're yeah. all exactly the same size. They, you know, so there was nothing to make it stand And not out. developed either. You know, we interviewed John Lindemann um, back at episode 26 and, and he gave the, the example of his property Dumbo which was friends of his that had bought on, what island was that? But, I mean, it basically it was the aerial shots had been taken at low tide. Mm. They, the, the block of land that these friends of his bought was partly submerged in high tide. <laughs> they could never build on it. And there were some blocks that were completely submerged. Mm. So, you know, that, that's a real, that was a holiday purchase as well. It's a very dangerous. So you're lucky you got out of that one. Yeah, we did it because we, we just got creative. You know, we, mm. we yeah. found a builder who... Wanted to do it. Yeah. I don't even know whose idea it was, whether it was Carolyn's or mine, but it was, it was, it got us out. Yeah. Anyway. Well done. Yeah. So, is there any other major kind of, you know, 
learning guess, your yeah, on fundamentals. Your you know, you mm. said don't enter, you know entering the markets. Obviously, one you know obviously buying good land. I mean, not that land, but what's some other you know not fundamentals on that you really yeah don't don't think? buy with your heart. You know, I think I think unless you're buying a house for your family to live in, mm. then then there has to be a certain element of heart in it. But you know, look at it like a business. Mm. Um, therefore, you know, check out the fundamentals, and we all know what the fundamentals are. I'm not mm. going to, you know, I'm not going to go through those. But mm. basically, you know, it's it's a good sound decision. Don't rush into it. Mm. Take your time. Uh, if you miss out on one, you know, set your set your limit. We what is what you think it's worth, mm-hmm. and if someone pays more than you for it, well, that's fine. They mm-hmm. figured it was worth more. So, and who says they're right anyway? Mm. So I think set your limits, stick to mm. it, um, be a hard negotiator and be prepared to go down a few dry gullies. You know, if if you miss out on one house, there will be another one, I guarantee you. Yep. There's mm. so many of them. Mm. So you just got to find the right one. So just be patient, uh, look around, get yourself set up, do your research and don't mm. believe everything you're told. No. <laughs> it's, yes, it's, it's a long list of... <laughs> Oh, there, yeah. there is yeah. a long list, but they're, they're, you know they're they're really quite basic. It's I take a lot for granted in, that that people have general knowledge, and they don't. You know, property is actually it, there is a lot of simple principles around it, but but it's also very complex. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's simple and yet complex, and and that's what I find a lot. But what are some of those principles, those overarching principles that you hear coming through again and again through, you know, slightly different message but the same fundamental mm, principle? Yeah, I, I just don't believe everything you're told yep. uh, and question everything, question everyone you talk to, um, you know, uh, always, always, ask, point. always ask what's in it for them, you know, what's, what's in it for you? Why, mm. should I, why should I listen to you? And that gets back to one of those points I made earlier about one of the things that really annoys me is that there is no one size fits all. So mm. anyone who mm. comes to you and says, this is what you should do, you follow my rules and, and you'll make yourself a fortune, antenna should go up immediately. Yeah. I think that's so important because, you know, it's so easy to forget that the property market is unregulated. It's so easy to forget that there is lots of risk out there, that, you know, there are different opinions. And I do feel like um, people do get sold on a strategy or a type of investing and then they go all in and then they just something called confirmation bias kicks in. They start looking for research. They start hanging out with the group. It's almost like a little cult around, you know, a certain strategy and they'll join a Facebook group and they just keep filling their information. And what they're all doing is they're just feeding the same lie to themselves. And Mm. all of a sudden, you know, there's never been that stop and question. And I think whenever you're considering, you know, getting into the property market, you know, do your shopping around, do speak to lots of different people, get your, you know, beliefs challenged because, you know, you want to actually hear people not agreeing with you because that's that's actually going to keep you learning, you know. Yeah, I think the other thing too, you'll you'll actually make money out of real estate when you buy, not when you sell. That's that's mm. one thing that I have learned. Yeah. Yep. Um, and also really question the people you are listening to because I, I know there's, there's one commentator who uh, doesn't appear with us uh, who actually owns no property at all, mm. yet tells people where and what they should be buying. Wow. I mean, really, how could you, how can mm. you do that? Mm. I, I just don't understand. You think you'd be thinking the opposite because if you haven't got any property, you want the market to crash, don't you? And well, so he used you to own property. Buy. He used to own property, then sold it all mm. because someone like Harry Dent came out and told him the market was going to crash. He actually mm. said that at one right. stage uh, but has continued on to sell his uh, products. You've got someone who's in the industry, so they're making money from selling a system or giving advice or whatever. They own property. 
They've listened to someone who's from outside, right. sensationalist, yes. and and basically sells on fear yes. and fills a room based on fear and yep. all that sort of rah-rah, and then gets back on a plane and gets out of here, acted on this person's advice, even though they're not really a local expert. Said they were acting on it. Said they were, told people they were acting on it and are still in the market and got rid of all their property, so no longer hold any property and are still encouraging other people to buy property. Amazing, isn't it? Wow. Mm. So they've acted on some, wow. But you've got to also, oh. and this is what worries me, you know, is that these people get oxygen. Hmm. Yeah, they do. They get a lot of oxygen. But there's also like the whole Renee Rifkin story going on sometimes with these property experts where, you know, uh, they've got big followings and, you know, when you've got a big following, you've got big power and personally you've got, you know, there's a stupid saying that you've got responsibility, but yeah. you can use that power. And, um, you know, we all know the Ray, Renee Rivkin story and he would, you know, buy stocks, you know, prior to, you know, he would mention to his followers that they should uh, buy. And yeah. you can pump up your own stock. Now it's, it's called insider trading in stock markets. Now whether you can do it in property market, it's I don't think trading. you can. I really don't think that. Yeah. You don't think anyone's got a big enough following no, to, to I, pump I up Hobart's so. prices? No. <laughs> No. Well, you can in a small market. Mm. And so if you well, can, in a small regional market maybe, if you've got a big market, enough following. You definitely anyone, could. Has anyone sure. got a big enough following, do you think? Yeah. If you you can when you got when We're not that, talking names here, but I mean, do you I mean, No, Kevin, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. Don't think anyone's got that inf- that much influence. No, I don't think so. Mm. Okay. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, See, because Chris is secretly a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, I just do think you do because um, it definitely happens because, you know, my belief, because uh, what you do is you create a uh, a message and a story and that story um, starts to spread. Yeah, shares are different though. I mean, you, you look at property, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to buy. You can't transact it quickly like you can with shares. Like shares you can move very quickly. So you can manipulate that market. Mm. Um, but- with property, it's probably a little bit different. If you had three or four spruikers all saying the same thing, mm. then maybe you probably would get a voice. Mm. But it's that orchestra. It's the orchestra. You know, if an orchestra starts yeah. to play, then it's louder. Yeah, but, but, one, investors- but one person, which is really what we're talking about, I, I just don't think they have that much mm. influence. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's if you're in the media a lot, if you've got a big following on blogs, if you've got events, um, if you're in the magazines, if you're – um, and you've got your reach can spread. And, you know, a lot of booms are driven by investors because you've got so many stock there. And if home buyers are just buying, then they're just trading in and out. And it's not really creating a shortage of demand, of supply, unless you've got great population growth. So what actually booms these cities is investors from outside coming. And I guess what if you, uh, you only need that little bit of growth, you know, and then once you've got it, you just keep on the story and you go, well, I'm right, I'm right. And then all of a sudden everyone keeps piling in and, I know. I, I definitely think it, it could happen in the property market. That hair, that story could could hold true for someone who is developing their own stock, mm. um, but for someone who is talking about someone else's stock, I don't think you have that much control. Mm. You know, you look at some of the big developers; they do actually influence the market. You mm. know, they can come in and build a thousand apartments in in a very small area. Mm. Um, you know, thirty percent of that. They may hold themselves just to to hold the market, to manipulate yeah. the market, yeah. uh, and then all of a sudden, wow, thirty percent sold uh, at a, at a good price. Yeah, you mm. don't have to sell a lot more to to make it work. And you probably know who I'm talking about. Yep. And they do actually. <laughs> they they can control the market. Mm. Yeah, 
I did hear a story about a developer. And I won't say the location because it probably give it away. I just don't want to get myself in trouble here. But I heard a story about a developer in a fairly expensive part of Sydney. They they created a landmark development, uh, apartments and um, some penthouse, a penthouse with pretty incredible views and all the rest of it. And, and so this I sort of heard this on the, the grapevine a bit. They apparently sold the penthouse at a slightly arm's length transaction to a brother-in-law or father-in-law or somebody mm, like that mm. at a record price mm. with record, square, you know, dollar per square metre. That dollar per square metre figure then went into the advertising for the rest of the complex. Yeah. And, That's you what know, I'm referring to. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. A li- you know, and it's like this is, you know, record, blah, blah, blah. And they sold. So clearly there's a demand in that location for that scarcity. You of- can create that. Well, I mean, yeah. Packer did it for his own development, you Who? know. James Packer and, you know, in Barangaroo, you know, he's building it. And I wasn't talking about that one, yeah, by the way. But, but I yeah, mean, it's because, yeah. you know, it's like he set the price. Yeah. Yeah, but you he's know? pretty open. We know that he Yeah, he did. It. Exactly. Yeah. He was open. That's why I'm, yeah. you know, discussing it. You know, he's like, well, I paid $17 million for my penthouse or whatever. That's because I can. And, yeah, yeah I can. But well, it's like a vendor bid. You're buying yeah. back your own property. No, no, no. He's coming out of his profit. But that's, uh, <laughs> you know, it is quite... Quite humorous. Well, you know, if you can find someone else who's got more money than him, he might sell it sell it down the track. You know, there's there's not going to be a huge amount of buyers with that that amount of money, you know, available to buy that sort of property. So, and there's, there's lots of things happen like that in the development world. And I think something that I've heard, you know, is um, when you've got stock and you can't shift it, um, and you've got two developers. Developers are mates with each other, right? If you're if you work in an industry, I'm mates with pretty much all the other developers. If you're smart, because you you want to work with other people and know what they're doing. Um, but if you've got 100 to sell, I've got 100 to sell, what's to say that I don't buy you 100 and you buy my 100? <laughs> now, that you know things like that might not happen on 100 apartments, but if you've got five or so that you need to shift at the end of the development, you yeah. know, you need to and, and you find people to buy them. So you don't want those sales to go through at, a, at you know, if let's say they were 650, you don't want to sell them on the open market for 600 each because you get valuation that issues. That the market. Um, so what you do is you just mm. sell them to your friends. And and those sort of things create new valuations. It means that it was meant to happen at a buyer's length, at an arm's length, but it hasn't. So you've got to be uh, always conscious that there's things happening behind that's the right. scenes. Yeah, and that's what podcasts like this can, you know, make people aware of. Yeah. And they can yep. ask the right questions. That's why it gets yes. back to what I was saying about appointing an agent. You know, you've mm. got to know what questions to ask. It's not about how much you know. It's actually the power of the questions you ask. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, and that's a good point. And unfortunately, you need to get to a point of understanding what you don't know that's so you right. can start actually asking those questions. And I think your podcast is an excellent, you know, starting point for Thank that in, in, in the sense that listeners can get a good, like you say, a broad spectrum of different voices and different mm. opinions and, and you don't have to agree with all of them. I don't agree mm. with all of them. Um, I've but- had people criticise me and, and send me an email and say, Kevin, I thought you were, you know, it was better than this. I, you know, I didn't expect this from you. Mm. How, why can you give that someone a pla- that person a platform? Mm. I think, well, you know, it's not. I don't want to. I'm. I don't want to be the the filter to all this. I just want you to to get the information. But if I think it's dangerous information, then I won't put it out. Mm. Yeah. You know. It, yeah. But, but I think someone who talks about. Um, a market crashing, in, you know, by forty percent, or what's going to happen to prices in a couple of years' time? I've got to actually ask the questions and say, "Well, what, what do you base that on?" Like, and yep. people are intelligent enough to pick up from the answers whether it's 
you know, whether it's real or not. Whether it's or whether they should be concerned. Yeah, exactly. Or whether they own yeah. it and they got it and they've I, researched it and they've really speak yeah. with conviction. I don't have to have an argument with them. I don't have to say, look, I don't agree with you for these reasons because it's not a debate between the two of us. It's just, okay, well, I'll just mm. ask you a basic question. Could I ask your opinion on just one thing that's extremely topical right now, which is the, the change of potential government and negative gearing going? Mm. Mm. Um, this is a huge change if it does happen. And I'd love to know what you think would be the impact and how, how much are people underplaying it and overplaying it? Because, you know, I find that a lot of people are underplaying it when they should be really thinking about it, you know, more logically. Mm. I don't think anyone really has the, has the answer to that. To be, I think history will, will tell the tale. But I, my own opinion is that I don't think it's something they should be playing with. Mm. I think it should be left right alone. Um, because it's just one asset class. I mean, um, negative gearing is not unique to property. No. Uh, it's used in a lot of assets. So I think to sort of – everyone tends to, to make out that investors or people who own property are rich, greedy people. They're not. Yeah. They're just like you and I. Um, you know, well, I'm, just a, you I'm I? a basic person. <laughs> like I, I'm, not, I'm mm. not super wealthy. Uh, and the risks that I've taken in property are ones that I chose to take and I think that I deserve a reward for that. Mm. Uh, and, you know, uh, ne- negative gearing is not the reason I would buy property. I'll no. say that. Mm. And, that's, but- and that's a very big message that, that, you know, buyers need to hear and they're going to need to hear that louder and louder and louder if, these, if Labor gets in and this, this new, and even currently actually because the, the Liberal government changed um, negative gearing the May budget 2017, which actually does still gives an incentive, or give an incentive to investors to buy brand new for negative gearing, right, um, without thinking that there might, may not be a secondary market for that, that sort of stock. So they're probably going to lose capital. Um, I mean, labour. No, Liberal government changed negative gearing in terms of um, you can't negative gear. So basically, if you buy a secondhand apartment, right, then you can no longer write down your your, style, your fixtures and fittings. So, oh, they so change they, the depreciation rules. Yeah, yes. Yeah, sorry, which yes. which impacts on negative gearing. Sorry, I'll yeah, to clarify that. So they they played with it, and that does change things. Um, if Labor get in and this legislation gets passed, then that's going to all the spruikers, all the developers are going to be out there flogging, you know, the negative gearing. You can get negative gearing on this one, buy this one, buy this one. But, and then, you know, investors do get seduced by that and they and they, over, they, they don't even think about the future. They don't mm. even think about, well, what is this thing meant to do for me other than just yeah. give me some dollars and that, back on tax. That's because it's promoted as a strategy when it's not. It's yes. simply an outcome. Yep. And it's an outcome of the fact that you don't have enough capital in the property and you've had to borrow more. So that's, it's, it's an outcome. Yeah, it's I think the hard part is, is that the, at the current price of property with the current rental yields and with the current interest rates, a lot of property wouldn't be what you call investor eligible or investor grade because under the new rules after a certain date, um, people wouldn't be able to afford the cash flow on them. Yeah. And what you would then do is a lot of property out there would completely no longer be considered for investors and you'd go straight to the homeowner market and homeowners would look at it and go, I don't really want it. Um, I don't want to live in a one-bedroom studio. Mm. I don't want to live in a, yeah. a two-bedroom apartment in a place where there's lots of other apartments, you know. And um, that would, you know, in my view would be, you know, completely reset of prices because you would yep. take away, you'd have to get 
a huge capital fall for that yield at current rent. And this is without allowing any increases in interest rates um, to make that thing almost neutrally geared. Um, and we're talking, you know, I've done the numbers on some properties and you would you'd be blow your mind how much it'd have to fall. So, um, and someone's going to have to cop a loss yeah. to make, to make that happen. Buyers, yeah. That's right. Exactly. Or investors. Mm. And yeah. um, what happens is the homeowners will make it work because they're not benefiting from negative gearing. You know, the investors would be smashed and a lot of investors have got one property. You know, 85% of investors have got one mm. property. And unfortunately, you know, investors go to the same place like every other investor, you know, and they buy these apartments. And, you know, and so well, what that's going to push back on is to most people who've got one property. Um, and then you've got the big kind of multiple investors are already getting smashed with borrowing anyway. So uh, it's 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 going to be interesting. I think that, that's that, uh, Chris's doom and gloom story for yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. thing is, though, the thing is that it comes back to what you're saying, Kevin. It comes back to fundamental good advice for your kids. It's like educate yourself, ask questions, look around. Don't follow the don't follow the herd. And if it sounds too good to be true, don't go for it. And this negative gearing myth mm. is a too good to be true to yeah. story. Really, don't, don't listen to your friends and right. Well, I was going to say, do not. Listen, no, don't listen to friends. <laughs> yeah. um, what else but, are we going to talk about at a barbecue? <laughs> yeah, well, isn't it funny? As a real estate agent, you go to a barbecue. Oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm, I'm in real estate. What's my house Oh, how much of the one down the road? So what's happened to the market? That's the that's the uh, common question. And we didn't even ask you that. What, what's your opinion of what's happening in the market at the moment? Mm, I won't even answer that. No, <laughs> no, no, no I don't. That. No, no <laughs> I'm only kidding. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing a whole lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Please, Kevin, can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories. I think I've given it to you, haven't I? Oh, we That's the one few, about buying land. Few, where oh, your, That was my own Your own property story. dumbo, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got I gave one you that one. That? Have you, done, have you made more than one mistake when you bought property? Oh, tons. Oh. Uh, there, one. there was another one that um, we don't own anymore that we grossly overcapitalized, bought it on an impulse. Um, I <laughs> had this wonderful idea that I needed a house that was on a corner block because I've seen so many of them get divided. You can put a house in at the back there so I went and picked the wrong property and then we emotionally renovated it put a new roof on it that didn't really need a new roof. It probably could have, but it could have waited for a while. So we then we thought we'd put the insulation in and we did, oh, all the wrong stuff. So, mm. and we, <laughs> we fortunately, I think we probably, we didn't lose much, but we did, we didn't make any money out of it, you know, mm. so. How long did you own that for? Oh, probably six months. Oh, really? So oh, was it quick? So yeah, it was quick because we had to get out of it quick. Yeah. We yeah. just. It's, it was all, yeah, it was all wrong. So you but got all excited about becoming lesson. a developer. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's probably quite common, right? You know, uh, people think they're going to stay at the house longer than they are and life changes and things happen. So if you're going to renovate a place and do it properly, like put a new roof in and well, insulation, hey, that's a you want to stay there for a long time. So you bought a block with the intention to subdivide, right? Oh, no, I bought a house. Sorry, I bought a house with the, the intention to subdivide the block. Eventually. Build another house. Yeah, eventually. Right. Eventually. But and at, it, at what point did you discover that um, it wasn't the right site for that? Well, it was the right site for it. Just oh. We just did the wrong thing. Oh, right. We, I, we shouldn't have spent any money on it oh, at all. Gotcha. And I should have just pushed it away and said, well, maybe in 10 years' time I can do something it with bit. it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's all about 
holding it for a long period of time and and being able to to hold it for a long period of time, being yeah. financially right. But we just blew all the money that we should have put aside to uh, hold it yes. on the renovation. So okay. I thought, you know, we, we learned from that. That's a great property, Dumbo. I love it. Yeah, you know, thank so you. over enthusiasm yeah, well, at a young age, I'm gathering. It's I'm one guessing. of mine. Yeah, yeah, it's one of ours. I've made dumb decisions around property too. Oh, and, look, and I think that's part of the university, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, and I, I do think too, uh, just getting back to one other comment we made earlier about one of the great lessons is that I've seen so many people uh, have learnt a lot from just around the kitchen table. You know, yeah. they like they they take on the thinking of their parents, mm. and and I think you've got to be careful about who you listen to. Yep. Mm. Uh, whether it's your parents or your friends, because um, you know quite often it can be bad advice. It can be good advice given badly. Or is it bad advice given? Yeah, it's, it's bad advice given for the right reasons. Yeah, if you know with good what intentions. I mean. yeah. Protection. Yes, absolutely. And I see that with a lot of first time buyers, in particular with the parents' input. And yes. the parents aren't necessarily property no, experts. No, in not. fact, I, quite often a long way from it. No, As an right. agent, I used to used to dread, you know, taking some buyers in. And so I just want to bring mum and dad back yeah, to have a look. Yeah, you think oh, I know what's going to happen here? Yeah. And look, with the best of intentions, they will look for a problem. Yeah, I mean, parents advise all through your life, right? Or, you know, growing up, through school, through university, you know, into relationships, et cetera. You know, so it's only natural when you get to buying a house that they want to advise and they want to help and they want to give money. But, you know, uh, this isn't you're going into. The parents aren't going into debt. The kids are going into debt. The kids are taking the risk and a massive financial risk. And they've got a right to make their own mistakes. Yeah, and you kind of got to... And the parents just stop there and say, look, yeah, okay, cool. Let's see if we can get some other people who may be a bit more experienced because they might have bought four houses in their life at four different times. What happened in 1987 or 1996 has nothing to do with what happened in 2018 or the growth that they had in their property between those periods or, you know, it it doesn't really, it's such an anecdotal evidence but it, it comes back. It, it just so comes back to that we all live in houses or, or apartments, and so therefore we think we're experts. And everybody's got an opinion. Yeah, but things change. I think, as Chris was saying, they you do. Know, like I, I remember when we first started buying houses, even before we started investing. You know, as um, as, as investors, we were buying homes, mm. and the banks wouldn't allow us to help to keep a home because I moved a lot when I was in radio, and we moved around a fair bit, and the bank. You had to sell the house yeah. to, 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 to buy. They wouldn't allow you to hold that house, gear against it, and go and buy a house in the new place, which would have Before been the Before banks got really commercial. And, and we actually lived, <laughs> yeah. in, we lived in North Ryde. We had a house in North Ryde in Sydney oh. and we had to sell it. Because oh, you imagine if that came back today. It's unit City now, <laughs> North Ryde. <laughs> the house is still there. I do watch it from time to time. Oh, I run a valuation model on it and then I put it all away and say, well, that's history. Yeah. Oh, God, that's <laughs> hilarious. Good. Well, you know, I think that, yes, one thing that you said we all got to learn lessons and, and we do, um, and I think by yeah, certainly in my business, you know, I want to help people not make the mistakes that I've made yeah. before I knew better. You know, and certainly that's what this podcast is about. It's it's about, you know, we can, this is why we have the Dumbo segment. It's so that hopefully the listeners can learn something from us, from mm. what we've done wrong or what our guests 
have done wrong or, or guests know somebody who's done something wrong, that's actually cost them money, cost them pain because, you know, with property, these experiences are costly. You know, there's opportunity cost even if you got out of it. And I love the fact you managed to get out of both of those mm-hmm. situations because the exit strategy is really important. You know, you need to go that's into right. buying property and know, oh, okay, if, the, if things go bad, what, how can we get out of this, mm. you know, and what are the options that I have available to me? So, um. Kevin, thank you so much for coming along and for sharing your Dumbos, your Pleasure. personal Dumbos. It's been, been lovely. Yeah. Nice to be yeah, really here with you guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Right. Oh, Good job. Actually, before you – so, Kevin, we'll put the links in the show notes for your podcast and oh, I do encourage you. listeners to listen. Uh, but also you mentioned your um, your checklist of questions to ask yes, potential selling agents. We'd love that. Yeah, yeah. So if you could, send yeah, that over to you. Yeah, that'd yeah, be great. No we'll problems. pop that in the show notes. So, yep. so, listeners, if you're wanting to choose a selling agent, it's really, really – that's a very, very important um, – I do have an e-book. An ebook. I do have an Ooh, ebook as well. Well, there you go. We'll put, put ebook. Yes. There's only so many links we can do, so calm down. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, I think we can do hundreds, can't we? <laughs> no, no kidding. Thank you so no, much. Actually, a link to the site will be good because the ebook's on the site. Oh, there you no. go. So very good. We'll do but that. I'll, I'll, say, I'll give you the download for sure. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming. It's a pleasure. Thank you. We want to make you a better elephant rider, and this week's elephant rider training is one thing that Kevin said, which is excellent advice, and it's it's a truism when it comes to property, is that you make your money when you buy, not when you sell. Now, that is in two parts. The first part of that sort of stands to reason is the price you pay. If you overpay when you buy, you have a lot of ground to cover before you actually start making any gains. So it's absolutely essential that you learn to evaluate what a property should be worth before you actually commence negotiations. And in order to do that, you need to research recent sales. That information is freely available, both on domain.com.au and on realestate.com.au. You can go in and look at sold properties. Just be careful that the time period is relevant so it's not too old a sale. And also, the more time you spend in the market, you can get out and about and actually look at property before they sell and keep a track of those sale prices and how each property compares to each other. Really important that you get the price right that you pay. So that's one half of the equation. The other half of the equation is you make your money when you buy, not when you sell, is in the actual asset selection. So if you buy a poor asset, then you've actually locked yourself in for a property that's not going to do much in terms of capital growth. But if you buy a really good asset, then you're actually buying something that's going to appreciate at a greater rate. So the calibre of the asset that you buy is fundamentally what determines your success in the long run. Join us for our next episode when we have an absolute special guest, Noel Whitaker. Now, we were thrilled to have Noel here. Noel has uh, loads of qualifications and amazing experience. His, his background is financial planning, but also tax, law, uh, property. He, you know, you name it, he's sort of been in it when it comes to uh, financial advice. Really, the title for this episode could be You Don't Know What You Don't Know. And I have to tell you that I learned a lot about what I didn't know as well in this episode. So tune in so that you too can learn about some of the intricacies around negative gearing, self-managed super funds, property in general, and also finance in general. You know... He wrote a book called Money Made Simple and he has a wonderful gift in explaining things in a way that makes the complex simple and it's absolutely
absolutely essential listening, I think, for any Australian who actually wants to make sure they plan well for their financial future. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.